Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join Helper community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder. You know, it's it's amazing because, you know, we both have the uh, Spanish, you know, going on. I, I think I have to say that I have a worse, much worse accent than his, you know, so he definitely went on on nailing it, on speaking English, not so much like myself. You know, I'm still in training. But, but again, I think that we're going to be learning a lot, you know, from his journey, you know, really remarkable. Uh, you know, they've raised uh, quite a bit of money uh, in the and building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff that we like to hear. And so uh, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Nico Sipko. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Muchas gracias. Very excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. So so give us a walk through memory lane, because obviously you have the Argentinian you know, vibe going on, but obviously it was a little bit of Switzerland you know, kicking in. So, uh, so how was life growing up? Growing up, I didn't know really where I was from because uh, to make it even more complicated, my mom is French-Canadian, my dad is Argentine. They both got a job in Europe. I was born there and I decided to do my studies in the U.S. So by the time I showed up in the U.S., uh, it was a complicated question when people asked, where are you from? How how was that, you know, having like that multicultural, you know, vibe going on? And, you know, I guess that that probably, you know, gave you access to a different perspective and a way of seeing things, no? Absolutely. Um, I think that when you're lucky to have multiple languages at home, uh, multiple cultures kind of, you know, raising you and, 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 and switching around, uh, you become a little bit more, I would say, having the luck of being open minded uh, because you see the world in a little bit more kind of uh, uh, multidimensional and multicultural. And I think that's that's important for the work that I do today, because, uh, you know, we deal with 29 different industries, people from all over the place, different ages. And that's just important. So then tell us about coming to the U.S. How did that happen? Absolutely. Uh, I did not plan to come to the U.S. Uh, in all transparency, in high school, I, went, I was preparing to go to medical school in, the, in, uh, in, uh, in Switzerland. Very good public school, university system. Uh, uh, but uh, I really like doing sports and I wanted to do, to do sports. And one of the great ways to do that is to come to the U.S., uh, I applied early to, to Harvard, was lucky to get in, and it was, uh, it was hard to say no after that. So then, so then tell us about the experience of uh, going into Harvard. You know, what was that like? Because obviously, you know, tons of history, you know, innovation going on. You know, I'm sure that many classmates, you know, went on to do to, to, to go to do great things. So, so how was that? It was, uh, I mean, Harvard was an amazing place. Um, it was, you know, I kind of came from a place where 
it was easy to get through school. But this way, like, you know, it wasn't too hard to, to get good grades, but then suddenly you were just an average student when you showed up there. Um, so that was a little bit, you know, a little bit of a humbling, uh, humbling step. Um, but the people there were just fantastic. Uh, you, you meet people who, you know, one of my good friends is now a member of Congress in Brazil. Another one is, uh, is another startup founder. Um, another one is uh, still in the labs doing research in physics and still in, in what I would describe breaking atoms. But the nice thing is you have such a diversity of, of, of backgrounds and of, of, of intellectual interest that my favorite classroom is just getting lunch and uh, with people from the class and just meeting people who have, uh, who have a different, uh, you know, who had a different curiosity than mine. Let's put it this way. So how was, you know, that uh, process like for you, you know, graduating, you know, from Harvard and obviously you got your degree there in economics, but then you decided to uh, follow course for corporate America. It doesn't sound that uh, that was as exciting, you know, to you because, you know, you ended up, uh, you know, branching off and doing your own thing. But, but I mean, working at JP Morgan for three years, I'm sure that that, you know, kind of like opened up your... I guess your 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 way of seeing things now, because seeing one of those banks, big banks in action, and seeing how they work, you know, I'm sure that that was quite a, an experience for you. Yeah, I I was really debating what to do after school, but I felt like going to a big company that had a structured uh, 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 training program for recent graduates was the right decision for me. Um, I felt like. I wasn't really closing any doors by um, joining a, you know, banking training program for 12 weeks and then joining a desk. Uh, and the real secret is when you're an international student, you don't have that many options, not that many places sponsor visas for for, uh, for international students. And so, especially at the time when I did it. Um, and so for me, JP Morgan was a good idea. I was lucky there to find a great boss uh, that made me really love one side of this, which is the payments and the and the and, and core payments. I would say industry and the pace at which it was innovating was just so fast uh, that it kind of gave me a bunch of ideas and 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 the rest is history. So tell us about that moment where all of a sudden you know the idea of branching on your own and and becoming an entrepreneur. I mean, how did that come about? Because I'm sure that you know, when you spoke with your parents, you know, and they had seen that you had followed the incredible, you know, journey of Harvard and then JP Morgan, one of the top banks. And then all of a sudden you call them and you're like, guys, you know, I'm uh, giving my notice. It's time to, uh, you know, work out of my bedroom or basement or whatever that was. I'm sure that they were like, are you sure you want to do this? So it's funny because for about a year before I, before I left my job, I would not stop on every single call to you know, I think I lost friends. I lost family members. My parents were like, oh my God, he's boring us to death with this idea of a card that pays people faster and it could be this huge thing. And, and so for about a year, I did it. So I think by the time that I said I'm quitting and I'm doing it, they're like, well, thank God, because probably he's not going to call us a little less and tell us he's about to do it, but he's going to be a more human, you know, more normal human being. Uh, I was lucky that they were, uh, they were supportive. Like, obviously, you know, everybody was very transparent that you know, I took all my savings, put it in the company. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge financial risk that you're taking. Uh, but I was up for it because I couldn't stop thinking about this opportunity. And kind of the opportunity drove me out of my my desk at at work. And less like I just have no idea. We'll figure out. I just want to be an entrepreneur. That was absolutely not my case. I, I knew exactly what I wanted to build. So what was that? It is still what we have today. Uh, today we have, you know, over 7,000 businesses using it. But the, the idea was pretty simple is, uh, you know, if 
you should have a bank that allows you to get your paycheck uh, whenever you want, as long as you work the hours. The idea that you need to wait two weeks for your paycheck is is, is ludicrous, and you should find a, your bank should should offer you the ability to, as you clock out of work, to get your money right now. And that was it. So then, so then I guess for the people that are listening, you know, you were talking about the early days, you know, the the lack of, you know, perhaps time to to focus on friends or, you know, relationships like the sacrifices. What ended up being the business model for the people that are listening, you know, to really get it? How are you guys making money? Yeah, the business model is um, imagine that you Alejandro work at a at a at a restaurant. Uh, where they're here in New York, and uh, you will use every single day a system to clock in and out. It's usually in, a, in an app that you download in your phone. Well, what will happen one day is you're going to see a button uh, called Claire uh, inside that app, and it says, today you earned $100. If you want it right now, sign up for this new bank, and you can get your money whenever you want. And you see that button every day because you clock in and out of that app. At some point, you say, well, let me try it out. So you open a bank account. It takes less than five minutes, and you decide how much you want to get paid every single paycheck on that bank account. Let's say you put 50% of your paycheck. Uh, let's say that is, call it $1,000, right? Um, and then what happens is we're going to give you, every single time you clock out, 50% uh, of your pay immediately. Uh, and, and that's it. And that makes the reward system excellent. So if you're starting a new job, and let's say you need to buy a suit, uh, or you need to buy new shoes, that allows you to not have to wait two weeks to do to, to get your money, you can get it immediately and it's free. All we ask that you do is you bank with us. The bank is free. We have great, 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 um, great features in it. Uh, but the whole experience is free because we become your primary bank account. So, so I guess, you know, for something like this, it's not easy because not only you're dealing with the uncertainty, but then also you're dealing with the regulatory restrictions as well, right? So uh, how has it been, you know, the balance of both and then also really making sure that you guys were, you know, walking that thin line, you know, with proper diligence. Yeah, fintech, especially when you're on the fin side of, of fintech, which is really building financial services, you can just go fast and break things. Uh, you have uh, your lawyer in-house and your compliance team is as important as the engineer that wants to go and build everything yesterday. Um, and uh, and, and we, we kind of looked at it from a perspective of, Assume we have a million people using this. What is the infrastructure that we need? And then we went to MasterCard. We went to a bank so that they could hold FDIC insured accounts. Uh, uh, we went ahead and found an ATM partner. And so we started all of these relationships. And all of them were the legal contract. And then we signed that. We got everything settled. And then there was what we call APIs, which is the ability for us to pull all of this data together in a simple experience. Um, and then that's how we launched the product. But yes, it was not easy. It's very difficult. So how was also the journey of raising money? Because, you know, something like this, I'm sure it was capital intensive. Yes, it is capital intensive. The, the, we're lucky to have fantastic investors with us. Um, and a lot of them realize that, you know, banking, especially for hourly workers, is kind of on average really pretty crap. Um, they get, uh, uh, usually they still use, I would say, uh, banks that haven't really innovated in many years, so they don't get great features. Um, and so they, they see that like, if you're able to have a good wedge on distribution and a differentiated product, you can build one of the most category defining companies out there. And so for us, raising the capital was telling the story and finding the right investors. Uh, but it was not easy. Uh, many companies I think fail at that stage. Uh, we were just lucky to find the right investors. And I think we had a very concise and simple story to tell them. 
So, so how much capital have you guys raised to date? We raised $45 million in equity and $150 million that's available to make advances to consumers. So what, how does that work? What, what does that balance, you know, look like, you know, on raising equity versus, you know, the money that you guys are using for the actual operations of the business? Yeah, equity is VC. So you go to venture capital funds and you just raise money. Some of it can be on, on safe notes. It was, it was a fraction of what we raised is on safe notes. And then most of it is what, we, what you do like as priced rounds. So you have one lead investor, usually the bigger one that takes a good chunk of the, of the round. We did that over three rounds. Um, and since our inception and then they lead around and then ultimately that's how you get, uh, uh get the funding on the, on the consumer, uh, lending program. That is money that basically sits within our partner bank password that is allocated to the program. And then what you have to do there is get licenses in many states to be a subservicer. Um, you need to, uh, go all the way down to like, you know, going through audits, uh, uh, there is also a, you know, an underwriting and risk committee that you have to, to, to build, and that is reviewed by the bank. And then that takes about a year and a half or two years to get done. And then when that's done, then the program launches, and now you have the money available to advance. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. How does it also change? Like, obviously, you, you've raised quite a bit of money. How does it change too on the corporate structure side? What does it look like? Like pre, you get money, post, now, you know, more formality going on on the corporate structure. So the way uh, we went a very typical route, which is what we did is for every large round that we went through, if there was a new investor, they would be joining the board. So me and my co-founders, we are manage, managing the, the, you know, the, the board of directors at the company uh, from an from a, from a organizational structure. And then the investors would just get a seat on the board. Um, so for example, we're three co-founders, we have three seats, and then we have two other, uh, lead investors. One of them led two rounds, um, and then they each have a seat. So we have three seats for the founders and the employees of the company, and then two seats for, for the investors. And that's how we make decisions. Uh, we meet probably quarterly. Uh, we usually meet more often, uh, informally, 
but we meet quarterly with, where we review documents, uh, we discuss strategy, and that's the oversight that they give us. And how do you, you know, prepare them to have like effective dynamics? Like how do you prepare an effective board meeting, for example? It's it's a great question, and I think we've we've tried to 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 build it the right way. I think you could talk to maybe a dozen founders, you'll get fourteen answers uh, because it's it's difficult to do. Um, in our case, what I like to do is there is a factual review of data uh, that needs to be done before the meeting. It doesn't happen during the meeting, and that's usually a deck. So the deck is a couple pages. It usually is very similar tables from quarter to quarter because you can just track how it's going. It's not just fresh data that I've never seen before. Um, and then there's what I like to call a memorandum. Um, so the memorandum sits next to the deck. Uh, and that memorandum is me with the management team choosing topics we need to talk about. Um, so for example, if we're going into a new segment and we want to look at the customer acquisition cost versus the value of the user, then we'll actually talk about the different methodologies we've taken. And if we think it's worth continuing to invest, investing less, waiting a little bit more to see more data, and then we'll have an advice of like what the management thinks, what are the risks, what are the mitigants, and then they will be able to, this will drive a conversation because one of the conversation will be understanding the management position, and then they will also give perspective. And what we do is we select topics, right? Uh, we select topics, we tell them this is what we want to talk about. Uh, usually a week before a board meeting, I do call the two external board members and I'm like, hey guys, remember we have a board meeting. What do you want to talk about, by the way? So I just, and usually I know what they want to talk about and I just in, include it within one of the topics. And we have usually four or five topics. Board meeting lasts two and a half hours. We go through all of them and that's enough for a quarter. And I guess, hey, you know, as part of this thing, I mean, on the way that you guys also structure yourselves, you know, the founding team, I mean, how did that look like at the beginning too on, on how you guys were distributing responsibilities? Yeah, I think that um, so one of our co-founders just became a board member. He ended up, um, you know, doing something else professionally. Um, uh, so we're two of the founders that are operating at the company. Um, uh, Alex, my co-founder, is responsible for everything linked to growth. So we have a lot of partnerships with payroll system, workforce management system. So he manages that effectively as CRO of the company. Uh, and then uh, I'm responsible for with him and the board, of course, the strategy of the company combined with um, fundraising and general management of the of, of the company. So hiring the product team, the engineering team, the legal team, um, the customer support team, and then finding the right talent and then just driving the right KPIs for the business. Um, that is how we split the work. And then what about what about like the trends that you are seeing, you know, around this? You know, what are you seeing? Where where are things heading? Yeah. It's a broad question. I, I'd say like w the way I think about it um, is the crux of a successful company is its ability to adapt. Uh, so it has to be within your DNA that anybody is willing to like jump on a thing that is growing quickly, whether it is you do a test, it works super well, and now you need to triple down on it because that way you can you can reach your goal six months early. Um, so the structure of the business requires from a, from the board all the way down to every single employee to wake up every day, knowing things will change, but it, and there's a lot of people who love this. Uh, I was very bored, uh, a lot at my job, uh, before I did this. Um, then I wanted an environment that moved a lot more. Uh, it really depends personalities. We've had, we've had employees come here and we didn't like it. We've had employees who wanted a very clear path. 
uh, over the next three years of how to get a promotion and, you know, exactly what they're going to be doing for the next year and have a yearly budget. That's not really what a startup, you know, looks like. And, uh, and some people love it. And we find the people who love it and we find the people who strive in that environment. But it's not easy. I hear you. I hear you. And now when it came to, for example, like the, um, the team, no, I mean, we're talking about investors and, and obviously people is everything. When you're building a company like this, what, what kind of talent do you typically go for? I mean, is it like typically more engineering, you know, is what you go for is it more on the growth side. And then you figure out, you know, like the way that you go about building things, you know, to surround that. So how are you guys really thinking about building the, um, the, the, the human power behind Claire? Yeah. So I think that a lot of founders make the mistake of starting just with the, Hey, what team do I need? Well, the question is a little bit different is like, what problem are you solving for your customer? And then if let's say in our cases, they need better banking, then a question is like, okay, what's the product? Then, you know, okay, it's a, it's a wage advanced product. And it's like, how do you distribute it? That's the second part. And it's like, well, we're going to do it through workforce management and payroll companies. It's like, okay, if that's the case on the workforce management and payroll companies, you need somebody to do the sale and do the marketing to them. Then once they signed, you need basic, and then you need a lawyer to sign, to sign the contract. Then you need a team that will implement it. So you need an implementation team. And then on the, on the product side, you need a bank with a, with, with, with a lending program. So you need a really good backend engineering team. You need a good, really good quality assurance engineering team. You need designers to design the front end. And then you need someone like me to sit down and say, this is what the product vision looks like. So then they can bring it to life. And then you need really somebody really good operationally. And then you need help on the finance side. And then all of these things can come at different times, right? Like at the very beginning, you need a really strong vision for the product because if without that, you don't have anything, then you also need the funding. And once you have the funding and the vision, then you need a few engineers and designers to bring the MVP to market. And then you need a team that's like, you know, to take over some of the stuff that I do away so I can focus on what's the next step for the business instead of being bucked down into, into uh, you know, writing decks for sales or, or, you know, doing sprint reviews with my engineers. And I heard you say the word vision a few times there, which um, brings me to my next question, which is imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Claire is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yep. It's very simple. We have a vast majority of uh, America's workforce uh, that primarily banks with us. Uh, we give them everything that they need from credit, from, from, from general banking, from the ability to get cash, from uh, understanding their own finances. Uh, we want to bank the vast majority of, of America's workforce. So I guess in, in, in this case, too, I mean, we're talking about the, the, the future, right? And and I want to talk about also the past, no? but, but doing so with a lens of reflection. I mean, if, if you could go back in time, you know, you've been doing this now since 2019. So obviously, you know, a bunch of, you know, really good lessons and, and things along the way that you've encountered. But let's say you had the opportunity of going back to Harvard. You know, maybe you're there in Cambridge where you're like learning about business and, you know, all of this good stuff. And you have the opportunity of going into one of those classes and uh, you're able to sit down next to your younger self and you're able to whisper to your ear one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Wow, that's a great question. Um, a simple one, go take more engineering classes, uh, especially uh, computer science engineering classes, and go take some design classes. Um, the interaction between humans and computers is unbelievably complicated because of the level of simplicity you need to create. And simplicity is really, really, really 
really hard to pull off in a complex environment, especially in financial services. So that's, I think, what I would say, like, go figure that out and, you know, do more effort to know this. Um, I think that the, the advice that I would give them is uh, it's all about people um, because it always is. Whether it is on the B2B sales side, whether it's your team, uh, focus on the people. Uh, sometimes you get bugged down into uh, whatever it is, like group debates and, 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 and things that are, you know, that, that you can waste your time on. Uh, but the idea is give clarity to people about what you want uh, and really find a way to enable them the best possible. I be a better psychologist, maybe. Uh, but the idea is people are not computers. They have emotions. A lot of humans make decisions based on emotions, not on facts, create a great environment for them to work and focus on that as early as possible. I think I didn't do that super well early on. And it just it, now it's better and I still have a way to go. But I would give that as a recommendation by myself. And, and going back to that comment of engineering and design, why do you find them so important and how do you think about the blend of both for Claire? Everybody else at the company creates work as in, but the people who do the work and get the work done is the engineers. Um, they just take work off your plate. They don't put more work on your plate. Um, so finding engineers who like, like the problem you're working on are able to be their own product managers and are willing to sit down with designers is important. The, the, world, the, world, the, the responsibility of designers is different. Um, designers have a, a very important role, which is they need to convert a vision into a usability product, if you're a consumer product, right? Like how does that come to life? Uh, you can see great products, right? Let's think about Skype. Right, Skype had all the market share you can think of of telecommunication via computers. Why is Zoom such a big thing? Well, because their product is better and it's better designed. That's it. It's because it's that easier to to to, to manage the way they have the linking, the way they have the exposure, the way they have the effects, the also the quality uh, of of the of the of the media. It breaks less. That's maybe an engineering question, but design is so important because at the end of the day, you're servicing humans, not computers. Um, and so the importance of design is very, very high. I hear you. Now, there's probably a lot of people that, um, I mean, this is fascinating, but there is probably a lot of people that are thinking the same way. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that they would love to reach out and say hello to you. So what is the best way for them to do so, Nico? So the best way to do that is just shoot me an email at Nico, N-I-C-O, at GetClair. That's G-E-T-C-L-A-I-R.com. So that's Nico at GetClair.com. Um, Reach out. Uh, love meeting other entrepreneurs or people who have uh, who have ideas. Um, it's a uh, uh, it's a lot of effort, but it is feasible. And the train passes, and you have to grab it when it's there. I love it. Well, Nico, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Have a have a good evening. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. 
Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.